0: Hey, this is Lisa. And if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast. And we have a Patreon. So the show is always free. But if you want to join us on there, you can. And uh, if you sign up for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to our extras. Like right now, we're covering all of The Mandalorian, and we're in season two. And I have a guest on there every week, and we cover each episode. So it's a lot of fun, Uh, and I want to take a moment to thank my top patrons, which are Chris Balga, Michael Cross, Philip Barker, and Ricardo Alvarez, who just joined us this week. So thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. Um, And as always, if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. That does help new listeners find us. Um, And today I have a guest that I've had on before, two guests that I've had on before, both Marcus and Alex from That Nerd Show. Say hi, guys.
1: Hey, what's up? I love that movie uh, podcast.
2: Hello, greetings.
0: And guys, um, if they haven't heard you on this show before, would you mind introducing yourselves real quick?
1: Uh, I'm Marcus Blake, the editor and producer of That Nerd Show. We're a nerd news outlet here in Dallas. uh, And we've shared some red carpet battles uh, with Lisa doing film festival interviews. So,
0: It's true. Um, And, you know, on this show my guests always pick the movie. And this time, uh, I, I kind of talked about this a little bit on Twitter and uh, on Facebook, but um, you were so passionate about this choice that you mailed a copy to me because <laughs> it is so hard to find. Uh, what movie did you choose to talk about today?
1: Well, let me introduce Alex real quick. Alex, <laughs> Go uh, for say it.
2: hi. Hello. I've been a staff writer for That Nerd Show since 2014. Sort of Known as the classic nerd and the indie film guy, just around the website, basically. And, He's, uh, but do you also do sports broadcasting and collect retro video games?
1: That's right. And Alex <laughs> and I have had to, uh, do some really horrible, uh, press screenings where it was really <laughs> hard to get through them, uh, i.e., left behind with Nicolas Cage. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, we should actually talk about that movie sometime and just talk about how bad it was. And, you know. <laughs>
2: should do it side to do a comparison the I original, like
1: that that's business.
2: actually better, if you can believe it. So I know, oh,
1: but it's funny because <laughs> I love to pick up Blu-ray's uh, at Dollar Tree when they just unload cheap movies, and I keep seeing that Nicolas Cage left behind a Dollar Tree. I'm like, it's not even worth a dollar. <laughs> Why do no. they have it? So, but anyway, answer your question, pump up the volume. It's the movie we're talking about. <laughs> And yeah, I was you excited to see
0: it, but I've got it right here.
1: Well, I was excited to get this to you. Um, and I ordered it online, uh, of all places, I did not know that Goodwill ships movies in the mail. How about that? Yes, <laughs> so all, all the copies that I got for all of us came from good, uh, Goodwill in New Jersey.
0: Nice, that is so interesting. I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, so this I'll admit it's my first time seeing this film but I'm sure it's not your first time. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey with Pump Up the Volume?
1: Uh, Well, first, uh, you know, we did Empire Records on your podcast uh, last year. And the reason we're kind of talking about this film is it's done by the same director. This was actually the movie he did before Empire Records, uh, Alan Moyle, uh, who had taken like a 10-year break um, after his very first movie uh, that he shot in New York. And this was the script that he, you know, wrote uh, and directed. Uh, So besides it being just a really kind of cool movie for the 90s, just thought it was interesting that you have these two kind of, I guess you could say classic movies from the 90s, you know, dealing with teenage angst and rebellion and uh, finding your own identity. And uh, this one uh, was one, you know, which, like I said, came out before it was that interesting one that christian slater wasn't really known to audiences i mean he'd been around kind of a child actor and, and all that but this was kind of a breakout film for him uh, per se but i tell you my main reason personally well, i really love this is for everybody that started a podcast
0: <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say it feels on yeah. for you
1: this, this is what they did before podcast you had basically pirate radio stations right uh, also a good double uh if you want to do a double double themed movie weekend the movie pirate radio and this movie would be really good although mm. the pirate radio movie does have the better soundtrack so gotcha. <laughs> um but yeah i just i remember um I never saw this was in when it was in the theater i was in junior high but i remember people talking about it and i worked at a video store in high school and uh a coworker of mine Name uh lauren her and i were always kind of rebellious and we would we were like the high fidelity characters of our video store and always playing stuff on the tv screens that we were not allowed to because of rated r or whatever uh, and she was the one that actually introduced me to this movie and was like have you how come you've never seen it it's really great you know it's about teenage rebellion blah 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 and um stuff like that and we we first time i saw it i watched it on a shift at the video store uh one afternoon uh with her so but a very yeah I just, story <laughs> yeah it's a very nice story uh, <laughs> also uh you know very very much in the vein of like the the, the clerk uh the clerk characters uh, so but the, I, I just think there's there's a special love for this movie uh for anybody that's you know again trying to find their voice you know what would you what would you have done in the 80s or the 90s and to basically you know have a pirate radio station um you know and speak truth to teenagers or talk about things that nobody wanted to talk about um i think that's what kind of made this uh you know film special and also I think for a lot of people who didn't really know who Leonard Cohen was, they kind of got a taste of Leonard Cohen because of, you know, the everybody knows song from this movie. So but anyway, that's kind of my special memory of, of how I got introduced to it. It was like, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I totally get that guy. And, um, You know, and I think that also inspired a lot of people that who wanted to have a voice for going to radio or, or be a DJ and, Stuff like that. So, but yeah, this is podcasting before there was podcasting. So, but that's me. And Alex, I don't know if you'd ever seen this movie before we were talking about (laughs) it.
2: (laughs) No, I hadn't. Um, My first time as well. And uh, I have to say, I am a little disappointed that there was no reference to the song from a couple years before this was released. That would have been a perfect opportunity to use that song in some way. Uh, (laughs) Um, uh, The very first thing I noticed, though, that got my attention was very early on in the movie, when you have the assistant to the principal, whoever it was, who's basically rounding up students to expel them or whatever. He's calling people as they come off a school bus and this girl walks off and he says, Cheryl. And then you see this name, Cheryl, such and such go across the screen. I don't know if that's the same actress who just happens to have the same name as the character but i like the fact that they had her name flash up on the screen as he calls her name out and then she gets off the bus i thought that was pretty a pretty clever choice at least hmm, i guess <laughs> i did not notice that I didn't down. Even,
0: yeah i didn't <laughs> notice
1: that so something actually kind of interesting about this film um uh alan moyle's uh sister who actually taught at a high school in montreal it's based off a true story. The high school that she worked at was doing something very similar to what this high school was, you know, trying mm-hmm. to beat up their numbers a little bit uh, or have, you know, students that weren't outcasts make the school look better and getting rid of kids. Um, wow. And that's how he ended up coming to write that story. Um, it wasn't really about, and there wasn't, a guy who had a pirate radio station. I think that just came about in his writing, but the, uh, what was going on at the school was actually happening. And, uh, and it wasn't just in Canada. I think I, if I remember correctly after the movie came out, uh, they found that there were more schools that were doing very similar things, um, hmm. you know, trying to get more state money or look better or, uh, and that kind of thing. So it was, it, it, it wasn't completely uncommon or something that, are totally unbelievable. So.
0: I mean, even now, I think, you know, in the past, I don't know, decade or so, you hear on the news about, you know, basically training kids to take tests versus teaching them. And I think that kind of falls into the same category. Uh, Before we continue too much further, uh, I want to give you guys uh, a heads up. There will be spoilers. Um, This is not a spoiler-free show. So if you want to watch this movie (laughs) first, go do that. And I'm going to read the synopsis really quick. Okay. So uh, in Arizona, an introverted and insightful teenager, Mark Hunter, played by Christian Slater, finds an outlet for his viewpoints through a shortwave radio. Broadcasting as Hard Harry, Hunter uses his pirate radio show to rant against the injustices and hypocrisies taking place in the area and society in general. Hunter uh, conceals his off-air identity, but a determined student, played by Samantha Mathis, discovers the truth, while Principal Cresswood, played by Annie Ross, seeks to shut Hunter down once and for all um it makes a lot of sense to me when you were talking about what it's based on i like the adding the pirate radio aspect to it though because it's like a way for us to kind of see what everyone's thinking almost as well because it's like like you said it's like a uh, podcasting but i don't know it's it's probably like the easiest way to connect everybody to the main story because otherwise how would they get all that info yeah. across you know
1: also thing too it's it, to me that the, the... The the truest aspect of it being a nineties film is you uh well, first of all, I should say that the Alan Moyle in more than one interview has said that Hard Harry, a Christian Slater's character, is a mixture of Lenny Bruce and Holden Caulfield, uh from Catch on the Ride, which hmm. makes sense. And you get that great little reference about Lenny Bruce when he's, you know, returning the book at the library. Um, but you would kind of go through these waves in American society where, you know, everything's very liberal and then it reverts back to very to very conservative attitudes. So you're coming out of the 80s where, you know, you have this wave of conservatism and, you know, you're, they're trying to step up and really teach American values. Um, uh, you know, and it seems more like indoctrination than anything else. Right. And you can't talk about a lot of things. You, it has to be in line with what they think is good students should be good. Americans should be. And you've got kids dealing with real problems that so they just feel like they can't talk about. And, and I like, I like the idea that you kind of have a pirate radio nineties version of Holden Caulfield who can, you know, get out all of his angst, hit him you know, hit the right buttons that all these kids are dealing with especially with the kid who, you know, calls in in the film and talks about, you know, he knows he's gay. Okay. And, you know, the jocks trick him and harass him and, and all that. And he has a very traumatic uh, moment um, with, you know, the, with that experience. But, you know, the, this is a 1990 film. And presumably you think this film is you know, 1989 when it was going on or 88 kids, it's not like today where kids can really come out of the closet and you know be gay or be comfortable doing it i mean it was still a very shameful or felt very shameful to do that and in order to have that lifestyle so i mean I and, I and again i think that's just coming out of the reagan era you know conservative america the and you even have the guidance counselor who his entire program is about pushing forth american values um and it's all kind of a crock of shit
0: yeah i wanted but, to hear uh that in our facebook group bradley uh colin smith said that well i'll just read what he said he said um this is one of the first films i saw as a queer kid growing up that affirmed who i was sure it was a small part and it still painted the queer boy as a victim but it also said blatantly that he was okay and that made a big difference yeah and I'm, so I, I i agree with what you're saying you know it's like oh, absolutely. Um, the movie yeah, is, you gotta is be, not judging him. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the well, comment not yeah. what society is judging him for.
1: Well, and you gotta, <laughs> you, you know, you gotta hand it to that 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 character who's like, I'm gonna own being gay. I know who I am. And how many teenagers can say that, you know, when they're 60, 70, It's like, I know what I am. But it was the fact that he was, he was more mad about them not accepting him or tricking him. And it's, I think it's kind of that, it's not about him feeling ashamed. It's more like the shame with everybody else that can't accept it. And nowadays Mm -hmm. we're like, nobody cares. You know, we're not, it's not like it was 30 years ago. So I think that's, and I don't know how true that part is, but I I can imagine how much it really spoke to a lot of kids who, you know, were still in the closet or felt like they, you know, couldn't talk about it, especially if they lived in very conservative areas um, in America. So, um, the other thing, um, kind of interesting, and I get, and I take back to the conversations I had with my coworker uh, back then. Uh, this film was the first time I had ever heard of a Cochrane. <laughs> Never <laughs> heard of that before. And they're like, what is
0: that? Doesn't it feel like in the 90s, though, you know, in the movie, uh, Harry uh, talks a lot about like masturbation and just like really taboo at the time topics which i feel like now are not as taboo anyway so it's like i feel like everyone stopped making those jokes now because you're allowed to kind of thing whereas like in the 90s it was like you had like kevin smith movies and certain areas where it was like an act of rebellion to even discuss this stuff at all and now it's like oh you know yawn like we've heard that before
2: (laughs) Two episodes from Seinfeld in season four that were considered groundbreaking where one deals with homosexuality and the other one deals with masturbation. And huh. they were applauded for tackling the subject without <laughs> offending anybody. And are you, talking about,
1: are you funny... talking about the masturbation episode where they're all taking the bet about how long they can hold out? Right. No. <laughs> Kramer, at the end of the day, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. And, that, and being in the, you know, early nineties, you know, when you're in high school, again, it's things that you don't talk about, but you know, everybody does. And you, you know, it's perfectly natural that, but you still, and and I grew, I graduated high school in a very conservative town that you you knew who was gay, but of course they couldn't come out and say it at the time. And, you know, you couldn't talk about things like that um, unless you had, unless it was some sort some, unless it was masculine in some way, or, you know, you, you were just kind of an outcast nowadays because of the internet and, you know, they're <laughs> free porn and everything. I was like, yeah, it's no.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like, thanks internet. No. Yeah. yeah I, I remember, you know, obviously being in um, Texas as well. Like I was raised very conservatively. These topics were probably even more taboo uh, because I went to like a, you know, private school and just, yeah, extremely sheltered. So it's like, I think um, a lot of people like me gravitated towards stuff like this, even though I didn't see this movie when it came out because things were so restricted and I can totally yeah. get why in the movie, all the, you know, like I feel like nowadays, like a kid, you know, referencing that he's jerking off and talking about cock rings like that doesn't really play the same way today. People would be like, Oh, that's kind of gross. But back then it was like, Oh my gosh, someone's saying it. They're really saying it on the radio. Like it was, not what, not the way it is today. And I was yeah. also think when you were talking about um, how, you know, in the movie, he's very shy when he's not in his radio DJ persona. And that's very similar, I think, to podcasters, a lot of them, at least me. Uh, but also it reminds me a little bit of like YouTube stars too, because I think a lot of times when somebody gets really famous, there's always a video that comes out where they're like, okay, I started this channel because I can't talk to people i'm yeah. scared i'm introverted and this gave me an outlet so it makes a lot of sense in the movie that you know he's extremely shy in person but when he's this like other personality on the radio he's like completely different and yeah he
1: can be everything know. that he wants to be so, I, mean, and I think that's kind of the brilliance of uh you know the, the explosion of podcasting too is it's a very populous tool everybody gives everybody a voice although there's a lot of people out there that we question, do you really have a voice? But
0: (laughs) we want to hit the mute on some, but yeah, I agree. (laughs) In general, I like hearing
1: voices. (laughs) Um, But, you know, and I think that's kind of the brilliance of when people really discovered uh, what you could do with the internet, you know, chat rooms. And when you could first do video. And I mean, I was in college when all this stuff was going on and um, you know, it's just, you know, I remember people talking about the biggest thing they found out about the internet, it wasn't about just being able to have a voice. and They could chat with people from other countries or share experiences. It was all these things that we had heard about that, you know, are perverted and grotesque, whatever. Now we can see them on the internet and confirm they're true, but
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. but, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I would be curious to see because this, when this movie comes out, I mean, he's really about five or six years too early from when you could start really doing stuff on the Internet and it started mm-hmm. kind of off and, uh, you know, where he would be. But uh, but the idea of actually having a pirate radio station, an antenna, and you know, parking and listening to it off the actual radio in your car. And that's that was to me, that was the coolest part is these people would go, go out and park at the football field together you know, different clicks and they would listen to this guy and they couldn't get enough of it, you know, and of course you have the preppy girl who, you know, whose parents are planning every aspect of her life and she's going to go to an Ivy League school and she doesn't, you know, she's trying to find her own voice and who she really is and not what, who her parents think she is. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, to I me, mean, this is just the ultimate 90s rebellion movie outside of like a kevin smith film which is you know very campy and um cracks a lot of jokes i think this was a lot you know a lot more it hit upon a lot more of a serious tone uh, that everybody was feeling like if you could put the catcher in the rye on a radio station this is what that would be
2: so um I kind of got the feeling myself that it's like, well, this kind of feels like maybe this is kind of what Ferris Bueller would have turned to when he went to college, where he was kind of the life of the party in high school. Now four years have passed and he's in college. Still wants to be the life of the party, but he's kind of doing it in secret. So he's still the most popular kid, but it's in kind of a different way because he's trying to blend in more being grown up or something. And it also kind of reminded me of that story about Cameron Crowe that sort of inspired Fast Times Ridgemont High, where he's at a school, he's posing as a student. So he's there, but he's not really there. He's, he's, he's got sort of a disconnect. And I kind of felt like this character had that same kind of disconnect when he was at the school and then he was kind of his own self when he was behind the mic. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It gave him an outside. He has an outsider perspective because he is an outsider. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: You know, kind of another interesting thing about this film uh, that really gets to uh, the the serious tone of it is you deal with suicide. You deal with people who think about it and you actually have a kid who does commit suicide, who, you know, they kind of help, but they don't really help. And then he feels bad about it. And should I really be doing this? But it's the first time that you can hear other people outside of like either group therapy that. You're all dealing with the same issues. It's not one person who thinks of suicide, you know. And you need to uh, talk to people. You need to share your experiences. Um, and it doesn't matter what clique you are, how much money you have, who your family is. Uh, that's the kind of the common bond with teenagers. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things that bring you together. Um, now, I mean, other shows and movies have been more hilarious about it uh, you know and then i guess they're trying to they tried to do that in the reboot of Safe by the bell uh which i couldn't get through but that's beside the point <laughs> no <laughs> but, but... but my point is you get a show like that that tries to deal with real issues they're so over the top and they're campy that you can't take it serious like <laughs> the one time that zach dealt with homelessness by hitting on a girl at the mall who turned out to be homeless that uh, but it's like you're making jokes throughout the episode. You're not serious. I mean, you can laugh at all the things that, you know, Hard Harry is saying, okay? But through it all, he's also being very serious and talking about those serious issues that teenagers feel like they can't talk about. I
0: think what you're saying is it's not a Saturday afternoon special. <laughs> <laughs> which is like not a thing anymore <laughs> but growing up it's like they would try to do that with these like really popular shows or family shows are like let's work in one serious episode and it it always comes across as corny and kind of patronizing and I like in the movie um, you know he talks to him and he kind of does this sort of tough guy thing with him which also felt very 90s like him saying you know Oh, are you really going to do it? Oh, if you do it, do it this way. Uh, You're not a wimp. Are you kind of, because it's sort of masking like, he can't be like, hey, I want to help you, you know, let's really talk like there's that barrier there of like, he's not able to do that. And then he dies. And of course, the school because he's sort of exposing them for who they are (laughs) they switch (laughs) tactics into you essentially killed him and you uh you know now the attention is on you because you talked to him you didn't stop him um and that does give him a lot of guilt which i think is different from a lot of other movies where something similar may have happened but i don't think the main character has that same level of reflection where he's like what is my role when I'm able to talk to people about such intimate topics such taboo topics like what is my responsibility in that relationship because it did have consequences he didn't kill him but he wasn't taking what he said seriously enough and but it's like a double-edged sword which they explore in the movie because it's like but they can't not talk about it and I like that part of the movie where that girl stands up and says you know yes it's true that happened that that kid killed himself and that you know i set off a bomb which you know both those things sound hella crazy um, (laughs) for children to be dealing with but she said this stuff's happening anyway and you're just sort of ignoring it and he's the only one like talking to people and dealing with it it's like you're punishing him just for even daring to talk about it but we have to talk about it and deal with it because it's happening and i I like that part of it too
1: yeah, great thing. Uh, I totally agree. The other thing too is you're you're also you it's not so gut wrenching and emotional with your character that he's handling it the best way he can as a high school kid who's doing a pirate radio station. Unlike the other film that kind of dealt with you know suicide and shock jock, you know holding, uh, you know having responsibility for a tragedy. Another movie that came out that year, The Fisher King, with Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams where he's exposed to a homeless guy who was the product of a, of of a guy that he told to go shoot people who really did and killed Robin Williams's, you know, wife or girlfriend in the film. And he has to all his way back and accept responsibility for the things that he did. And, you know, as a shock disc jockey, like Howard Stern. Uh, And that one, I think kind of deals with a similar subject, but, you, know, you it, it's not meant to be it's meant to be more emotional i guess than what pump of the volume was i think there's still that aspect of pump of the volume that it's this coming of age teenager movie but it's not a john hughes film where everything's going to kind of work out in the end because it doesn't right. you know yeah. i mean he did a pirate radio station he has a voice but spoiler alert as they're running from the fcc he's going to jail you know him him, his yeah. you know girlfriend
0: and you know having sort of that almost like viral fame that he gets at his school um, he starts to influence the school and the students there in ways that scare him and I like that too where he's like, because I think that happens. I mean it happens like online where it's like if everyone's listening to everything you're saying, you have this power now um, and influence over them and that and he doesn't like that like at first he likes it, but then he's like, hey, this is like, a bit much and I like that he as a character wrestles with some of that like ultimately he decides that he's doing a good thing and he is doing a good thing but I like that he like has to wrestle with that at points in the movie
1: yeah well you know that's I think that's the great thing about any character when you have a voice and how you influence people I mean it would be nice if politicians who have a voice would realize that but that's
0: certain <laughs> ones that shall remain nameless. right
2: i know
1: I
0: mean, like Baltimore, <laughs> I mean, I mean, people, people know who we're
2: talking about. about not listening to politicians as much in the future but <laughs> yeah i'd <laughs> be okay with but
1: yeah but i mean you know every great character that is trying to inspire you know young people to find a voice if they do something or something tragic happens wrestles with Am I responsible for it? I mean, again, another great Robin Williams film. Let's think of, you know, Dead Poets Society, which came out yeah. the year before. I mean, he inspires them to go off and find a voice and then one of them does and then commit suicide. And it's like, am I at fault for this? Did I push it too far? Should I have been more conservative in my teaching? And, you know, different aspect because you're a teacher and you're responsible for the education. But there is, there is that thing there is a responsibility that comes with having a voice or suggesting things or trying to inspire the masses that, you know, you sh- can you be held liable if they go off and do bad things, if they commit violence? Are you at fault if they commit suicide? And I think that's another thing that you, uh, that film, that, that's an underlying theme that doesn't get, that never really got discussed a whole lot, not even re- in reviews. Is that, is he really responsible um, for saying those things and some and then the tragedy that happens after afterwards? And I don't know if there's an easy answer to that question, but at least the film tries to address that for the audience. And you make up your own mind.
0: Yeah, you know? I agree. I don't think it answers it, but it does point out that it's there whether you want it to be or not. And I kind of like that because... I do think that's true. I think you have to choose your words carefully when you have a platform, no matter who you are. Um, Even if it's unintentional, then you may have to take responsibility for things that you say, depending on how things play out. Um, And there isn't like a hard line, like you're 100% responsible, you're not. But anytime you've got a big audience, you know, and you have some influence over it, I think that's...
1: Yeah, and I mean, yeah, you... You've always had uh, disc jockeys that were, you know, shocking, but that talks true. I mean, and we've done movies about that. I mean, uh, uh, oh, I'm forgetting the guy's name, but they did the movie about uh, Petey Green, the, the famed disc jockey from Washington, D.C. during the 60s and the 70s. Uh, oh, why can't I think of that actor's name? I apologize, everybody. Uh, he replaced Terrence Howard... As the colonel in the Marvel movies. I mean, anyway, we're um, not
0: helpful. We're sorry. Yeah, I, it's I
1: like okay, IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> I do that during a pause. Like, I, we really, I've got to keep IMDb up now. It's like because I'm trying to think of someone, and I'm like, God, I can't remember their name. But that happens uh, to me all
0: the time. Sometimes of the movie we're talking about, especially if, only, if I've only seen it once, I'm like, what's the main, <laughs> main character's name? Brandon, you know, like. You need a
2: producer yeah. and. Re- who can tell you, and then you don't have to even act yes. like you're up. Ah, yeah, it just came the- out right in my earpiece. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's the problem with being like a one-person show.
2: That's yeah,
1: you don't have a <laughs> yeah. producer. Like yeah. <laughs> it's just uh, the answer that you're looking for. But you know, <laughs> you know, you think about too at the, at the the when this movie is set. You know, late '80s. Um, that was when Howard Stern was starting to really become popular and push the boundaries of radio and and, and stuff. And there was that question of how responsible are you as a, as a disc jockey for the things that you do, even though all of it was satire and all that, he never got into really talking about serious issues, unless it was funny. It's not like he is now where he just does these interviews and, you know, talks, talks about things that most people have never talked about, you know, with actors and athletes, but, um, but no, I, for me, this is just one of those best films of the 90s, and I thought it was so perfect that it kind of started out of the 90s because, again, you are finding – you have all these teenagers that are getting out of that conservative time period where I am fed up, I'm angry, I am, you know, and you're dealing with poverty and how everything is supposed to look. And, and i got to tell you, I think the worst character in that movie, it, it's not the principal – even though she's evil and, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's like cartoonishly evil. So it's <laughs> right, easy to know right. she's the
1: bad guy. <laughs> it, it's the, it really is the guidance counselor to me who's, we're going to have comprehensive American values and program, and we're going to do things this way, better known as indoctrination. But, you know, and anytime, I, anytime I've i ever heard teachers talk about that or a guidance counselor, it's like, I just, it, I, I cringe because you're trying to shape someone into what you think they should be as an upstanding American. And it's like, that's, there's many different colors that help.
2: Fortunately, not much has changed uh, in the last, uh, you know, 30 years since the movie came out Um, in some ways it's gotten better. In some ways it's gotten worse. So.
1: And I think that's the pushback anytime you're dealing with, counterculture or, uh, and and I'm not, I'm not trying to rag on conservatives or anything on your, uh, podcast, (laughs) Uh, this version of what you think morality is or, or America should be and yada, 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 that, that, that's still very present. I think people forget that, you know, everybody has their own American experience, especially immigrants uh, and stuff. Um, there's always, again, there's always that pushback of those aren't proper things. We can't have those things. I'm like, you know, human beings, I mean, we're, we're all pretty perverted in our own way and, you know, kinky and like certain things. And it doesn't have to be one way or the other. And uh, it, that I think we just, you know, people need to accept that. And that's kind of another thing that this film, you know, gets past. It, it shatters that image of be who you are you know, whether you're gay or whatever, be kinky, just be, find your own voice, okay? Uh, And I think we haven't talked enough about Samantha uh, Mathis' character, who, you know, Nora, who, you know, is an artist and a poet and, you know, rebellion. And, you know, she, to me, she's like that 60s girl that breaks free from every conservative thing that she ever grew up with, goes off to New York, you know, is, you know, she might've been a great artist or end up being a, you know, comedian, uh, like, you know, Mrs. Maisel or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, um, he is just a free spirit that not only does very conservative, uh, families or you know, towns or communities are afraid of, but even some men would be afraid of it's like, we can't have a woman be that much of a free spirit. Uh, <laughs> he's also, I I shouldn't say foil, but she she's a great balance for him because she pushes him to keep going and like you've started something here and I'm gonna help you. and And you could see these two ended up you know together, um, you know, doing wonderful things later in life. When they get out of jail.
0: <laughs> right. They also were in three collaborations together. They were. Yeah, they went on later to star in two other projects, Broken Arrow and Ferngolie. <laughs> the last rainforest yeah, about <laughs> I
2: did, I, I'm not that familiar with Broken Arrow though so yeah. I don't want to escape yes. yeah. me, I'm kind of weaving in,
0: I don't have as many like quick facts this movie just didn't have a ton of those um, so I kind of weave them in but that was one of the ones that I had So I well, that.
2: well <laughs> one that I found interesting because we talked about High Fidelity uh, John Cusack was originally slated for that role that's who the director wanted first before wow. they went to Christian's so Yeah, I thought um, that was
1: interesting I think that would be very interesting if he'd actually done that role and then ten years.
2: Oh, and you could industry. totally tie those two movies together. it be Yeah, like because really, you could be
1: like, that's the evolution of yeah, that character.
2: For you sure. know? Absolutely.
1: I go from being a you know, pirate radio guy in high school to you know, owning a record shop, being a former DJ, and and you're know, basically being an elitist when it comes to music. Um so yeah. uh, but It'd be interesting to revisit that story. Like, you know, there's this trend of reboots going along. Like, 30 years later, we can uh, reboot a movie. And I don't, it doesn't always work. I know it kind of started with what they did with The Force Awakens. Um, I thought it was brilliant with uh, Blade Runner 2049. It was one of the most perfect films I've ever seen. Um, Agreed. but uh, you know, now we've got Coming to America two coming out in a couple of months, which I'm still like. Mm,
0: I know some we... movies that they want to remake. You're like,
1: yes, <laughs> right. Uh, they're I mean, they're maybe, though. TV shows. They're they're rebooting Night Court, and the whole story is now it's going to be the daughter of Harry Stone sitting on the bench at night okay, court
0: can i just admit to you i think you know i'm not like a very young person i am you know 37 and i never watched night court so like how are young people going to relate to that you know what i'm saying like is it too yeah. late
1: <laughs> i think I, I don't know um but i think you know, way
2: you- they, they, they you know put the put all the karate kid movies on netflix before this they brought up you know what
1: very
0: very true true. which is why i can't really get too upset about reboots because i'm like i don't know sometimes they're really good so
1: sometimes (laughs) that nostalgia just hits perfect and we could spend hours talking about cobra kai uh (laughs) when it first dropped i mean i was one of those i was like there's no reason this should be this good no reason at all and it, it and it just keeps getting better and you know they brought everybody in and Like I said, we have our theories about that, but that's for another time. Um, But my point is, I'd be kind of curious 30 years later to see, like, you know, they would have to spend time in prison or, you know, what would happen? Would they still be together? Would they reconnect? Is one of them, does the daughter or, or child of one of these characters become a YouTube star and have to deal with the fallout of something, you know, controversial, like the Me Too movement or whatever? And. That I feel like you could do, but also bring these characters back in about things never truly change. You're still going to go up against the establishment of what you think you should be, and you have to find your voice and you have to rebel. And we did it back then, and here it is now, but with more technology. It's
0: also scary to think about the fact that, you know, we keep talking about pirate radio and how. It's like not a thing anymore. The way that big companies stepped in and made that impossible. Um, and there's parts of me that that are that are worried that you know that could happen with podcasting too. Right now, it's a pretty even playing field. But once more and more people start to take control, you know, I don't know. So it, it could well until you
1: like you may shut our YouTube channel down. You may shut down <laughs> social media, but I will still make videos and embed them on our website. And go. if I ha- and if I have to be like Pirate Bay and keep changing the domain every week and to get the voice <laughs> out, if I have to give you my address on the dark web, <laughs> <laughs> <right>. we'll find <laughs> us. <laughs> the dark
0: web. Wow, you heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's that dark the, dark to the dark yeah, web. I, I can no, no longer no, be no, affiliated no, with this.
2: Play here <laughs> <at> this. <laughs>
1: uh I mean. And, and and unlike other groups of people, we're still just going to debate movies and yeah. you know important you things go. and not try to you know plan an insurrection. Uh, yeah,
0: please if, keep it, a, it keep it to movies. Right?
1: If we riot, <laughs> if we riot, it's because you know you've ru- you've taken away the Mandalorian or something like that. That's what we have our pitchforks It's like march with Baby Yoda. Like, no.
2: <laughs> so we're still not done. Bay. Okay, we still hold a grudge against him. So,
1: all the grudge against
2: <laughs> Michael Bay. We we don't get over that. So. <laughs> uh,
1: you know, and I, I I feel like since you mentioned Michael Bay, we should explain to your audience the genesis of that nerd show. Um there's actually kind of a funny story how we got into it. Uh, nine almost nine years ago uh i i actually come for the political world i actually did have a political radio show with a huge listenership i was the liberal on the show and you know we would interview candidates and i had just gone
0: like no you I'm yeah <laughs> i'm so sure you're the liberal
1: <laughs> we just got through interviewing our last round of candidates for the 2012 primary and i like did a town hall and it was just got you know everybody got burnt out and uh, after a protest uh, of dealing with a town, my hometown, trying to put a nativity scene on the courthouse lawn, and you know, everybody was like, No, we're allowed to do it. No, you're not really actually allowed to do it. We were got our own petition going, Separation, up. guys. I know mm-hmm. we were like, Well, then we want a Christmas decoration of Jedi Jesus next to it, <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> let's make it an even playing field. Yeah,
1: yeah, but uh when they got announced that Michael Bay was going to be making Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I posted something on my Facebook wall and the debate went on for like five days. I was like, wow, uh, there's a lot of pissed off people about this just like me. So about two weeks later, I got on uh, blog talk radio and uh, created a podcast with a couple of friends who didn't stick around very long with it. Uh, And then Brendan Smith came on and we did a podcast for about a year and 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 then we uh branched out into a new show and brought on alex and some of our other writers but it all started with our hatred for michael bay
0: i know i saw that movie but my brain deleted it i cannot remember a single frame
2: to be fair i think he's allowed one good movie a decade (laughs) because he did make rock i love Uh, the rock
0: we've talked about about that on the show good
2: I thought the island yeah. was pretty good. I thought Pain and Gain was pretty good. So, oh, okay. one, yeah, I seen one that. good movie a decade. It's it's, it's okay.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay. I will. That's well, what, it, what was the good movie before Pain and Gain?
2: The Island. I thought that was pretty good. Okay. Yes. The Island. Uh, almost a rip-off of Logan's Remake. Brun, of a really but... bad movie. The remake was actually better than the original. Yes. What? You're saying The Island is better than Logan Run? It's not a remake of Logan's Run. It was a remake of, like, the Clonus Wars or something. It was an MST episode years ago.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, now I'm going to have to do some research because it was pretty much Logan's Run, but okay. I like
0: Logan's Run a lot. I don't know if they yeah. call it really good, though. I love it for what it All right, is. I'm out of here. I'm out <laughs> <laughs> It's in a mall. Well. The whole movie's in a mall. Anyway, I love that movie, like, to the Great. point where I want to make, like, the runner's uniform, so I'm not hating but right. it's not like
1: if you if, if you're from Texas, you have to like that movie for a while because yeah. it was shot in a mall in Fort Worth, Texas.
0: <laughs> yes. In the so, Water Gardens.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, I oh man. Yeah. But anyway, like I said, yeah, we that's kinda, the <laughs> yeah it just started with arguing about Michael Bay and when we finally saw the film, we're like, yep, we were right. It was horrible. <laughs> <laughs>
0: When I started hearing they were aliens and things like that, I was like,
1: hmm. "Yeah,
0: you can't make something that's silly like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too complicated." Yeah, got just stick with uh, what it
2: is. Oh, you can like the whole the whole premise of the comic was based on a joke that was parodying uh, Daredevil. I mean, yeah. it wasn't and, be taken uh, seriously. <laughs>
0: and Teen Titans too, like, and then mutants like the X Men, like it like took all that stuff and it yeah. just smashes stuff together.
1: Yeah, and. <laughs> Michael Bay I, and I agree with Alex. He's allowed one good movie uh, per decade. Um, I, I would, I would honestly say that the uh, the Thirteen Hours uh, Benghazi movie was actually really good. You know, despite your politics or what you believe about what happened, I mean, it was very well acted. The action was great. Um, so <sighs> I, I will, I will give him on that. But nothing's ever going to take away the Rock. The Rock is just an awesome movie, and there's so many great catchphrases. Uh, yes, you know in that movie um and it's you know before Nicolas Cage went completely crazy and had to do any ridiculous movie offer that was given to him because he's in debt so right right but before
0: he had to do a uh that religious movie back from the left
1: behind movie left
0: behind i could not remember yeah
1: or every other um <laughs> uh, every other movie that he's done that it feels like it's like straight to video or whatever but then again i can't i can't completely knock him on that because i feel like liam neeson just keeps making action movies that are carbon copies of his character from taken yes mandy is really good except yeah mandy uh you're right mandy was one of those surprise hits uh and that's a great uh, movie to
2: be good a few years back also
1: anyway, uh, so Alex, and, and I got to ask all of you, uh, uh, because I have more of an experience with Pub of the Volume. Uh, my, uh, personally, when I look at this movie and I give it a grade, uh, I mean, it's an eight for me, probably more for the nostalgia than anything else. And I kind of, you know, have been inspired by it as a great nineties inks movie, but I'm curious to know how you would grade this movie one out of 10. So, Lisa, how would you do it? What, what, what grade would you get this
0: movie? I would probably give it a seven or an eight. Um, I don't have the nostalgia lens over it since I didn't see it when it came out. But I think the topics that it tackles are really interesting and not often seen in 90s movies. Not, probably not often seen now, even though they they still apply. And I noticed in the group when uh, we t- when I talked about you giving me this DVD, um, a bunch of people in there commented, like, oh my gosh, I love this movie. I can't wait to hear what you think. I even saw on Twitter, Bart was like, oh, the reason why they have such a hard time getting it to stream is because they didn't think about like the music rights. And now with everything streaming,
1: yeah. like, oh, a you know what?
0: Challenge, and that's why you can't find it anywhere. And that just sort of I... adds to the mystique of what this movie's talking about, which I feel is interesting.
1: <laughs> you know what? We got to give a shout out to Bart on that one. Uh, and uh, yeah. That's, that is very true. I didn't think about that. Um I even tried to find like a pirate copy <laughs> before <laughs> before I bought the DVDs. Like it's not even on Blu-ray. That's the sad part. I can you I, Every you once
0: even... in a while that happens like uh My Fair Lady is not on Blu-ray. It's only on Oh Netflix.
2: yes it is. Oh is it? Yes, it yes. is. I have a special edition uh, metallic box of uh oh. My Fair Lady. Do you? Probably, I gotta ask probably, now, Alex. Do you have
0: that? Find,
1: do you well, have that when you bring women over? Is that front and center, like your favorite movie in a tin? Oh, no. Nice. Okay.
2: <laughs> I, I, like, <laughs> I, I like I like Audrey, and I like Audrey, Audrey Hepburn. And I think that's a, a classic film, so I think it's worth. Oh, having no, I don't. I don't disagree. Uh,
1: I just I just got to give you a hard time. You know, it's like <laughs> we'll put the nerd <laughs> You're like, movies out. Tonight. Welcome to
0: my just, home. Let's watch My Fair Lady. Um. <laughs> but uh well i had a hard time finding it let me say that like i looked on it Amazon. it probably is yeah blu-rays
2: Blu- 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 are getting harder to find because when they release them True. they don't re-release them as much as they used to because everybody's gone to streaming and digital so they're mm-hmm. getting more expensive and hard to find i
0: don't think um, it's streaming. i had to i had to buy it at like movie trading company or something
2: the crap um... shoe, because you never know if it's going to be there or not. So,
0: right. Yeah. It was a tough find that movie. And then I think since then it's now streaming, but Drop Dead Gorgeous was like another one that, you know, that that was like a really cool movie to me back when it came out. Uh, my guest Mitchell um, was really excited to talk about it, but, um, you know, it, it's, it was hard to find. And there was like a new Drop Dead Gorgeous that was terrible. <laughs> um that had sort of taken the place of it and it, it was difficult to find so every once in a while that's why i kept mentioning that you know that happens i want people to know like you can we can think outside the box it doesn't have to be something that you stream because i think there's still an audience for people that want to talk about these movies even if they're difficult to find like people will find a way like you're i saying.
1: would say this about blu-rays I, I am very big that anytime i'm at dollar tree or big Lots, they have cheap you know blu-rays for like couple of bucks or whatever, I will snatch them up. I don't really care if they're B-movies or whatever or just anything. Um, like, especially well, Dollar
2: Tree. And what else, I always – Sorry, go I ahead, find, um,
1: I find a lot of hidden gems, uh, especially movies. Like, I remember we had a press screening or I didn't go and I never got around to watching it. I did that the other night. I found The Man from Uncle, the, the, the remake movie that came out a few years ago, for a dollar at Dollar Tree. I was like, wow. "Oh, cool!" And I finally decided to watch it last night while I was working late. Um, I was like, "Oh, okay. This was actually fairly enjoyable." I, you know, I don't can't remember why we weren't at the press screening or we covered it, the film. Years
2: ago, but, yeah, there, there was there was another fairly big movie that came out around the exact same time, and I think maybe that cut into that movie because I think it was movie, a real. I thought it was good, but there was another big movie that came out at the same time. And that's why I kind of it was went under the radar. One of rate. those
1: where we had to choose. Like, I, I, think thing,
2: I think it was like a Mission Impossible movie or something. Something like oh, that. that. That might have been
1: it, right. But uh-huh. but you can also find really great deals on Amazon, too. Um, I, yeah. found, I found a Blu-ray of heat for five bucks
2: on Amazon. Yeah,
0: I mean, those are going away quick you know i mean people well, are like you yeah said, they're going to 4k now what
2: I, what I would say though is there's a company called shout factory and i actually have a an uncle in california who's friends with somebody who works for that company and they are really good about re-releasing kind of v-movies or kind of forgotten movies um and they have another line that's called scream factory that's for the horror films then they do shout factory for all the other stuff and so sometimes I'll like talk to my uncle and say hey can you say can you ask so and so if they've ever thought about doing this movie or that movie and I was happy when they when they you know like did a re-release of Creep Show because that's like my favorite horror film and for years we couldn't get a Blu-ray of that and finally we got it a couple of years ago so some of these may still be so what, coming in a couple of years. Yeah, interesting. But so <laughs> what you're
1: saying is you have an end where you can offer suggestions of like hey uh, we need this on Blu-ray <laughs> like pump up the volume <laughs>
2: Yeah, <laughs> there you
0: go. Yeah. Make it For
2: happen. The shot, uh, <laughs> I uh, mean, it was a low budget like film. The... Uh, probably wouldn't be very expensive to transfer and sort of remaster, but um, well, I, I mean, think.
1: it would probably be a lot easier. I had a friend of mine uh, when these Star Wars trilogy went to Blu-ray, but it had all the ridiculous changes in there that were just horrible. <laughs> I refused to buy it, so I did two <laughs> things. I bought, uh, I bought the VHS originally. Original trilogy set off of Amazon for like 10 bucks, like the one that got released in 1988. Okay. Bought a VCR at a pawn shop for 10 bucks. And I was like, I'll watch it this way, like I did when I was a kid. And then I had a buddy who took the laser disc of the original Ooh, releases. Discs. Those were put it on, high quality.
0: Yeah. yeah I, I mean, put it on a Blu ray
1: disc. And those are the um, ones I actually have. I'm um, like, because I am not watching any version. On Blu-ray, <laughs> where Han did not shoot first. So <laughs> you
0: gotta stick to your principles.
1: I do stick to yeah, my principles. very uh, important. So, but yeah, I have them on Blu-ray. It's just transposed from laser death. That is funny. Yeah. So I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do. But yeah, Alex, I'm curious, how would you grade this movie? I'm sure you're got a lower grade than I would, uh than I
2: did. <laughs> give it a seven out of 10. And, um, you know, I thought about whether I would give it a seven or eight, but what I sort of think of is, well, what are some other movies that were at around the same time that I rate around the same or a little bit better? And I think, well, it's not quite as good as this, but it's, it's, it's not, not by much. So I, yeah, I think, it, I think it's a seven out of 10 and that's just in retrospect. I mean, who knows I might've even liked it better when I saw it back then, if I were watching it now, you know I mean? But, um, Well, what I like is that I think the story is still relevant, the message, um, and it doesn't come across as preachy. It kind of allows you to think for yourself. Um, They don't get into any kind of moral arguments or anything like that. Um, And it is kind of a thinking movie. And my biggest thought about this was um, also uh, they don't really address it head on, but they kind of allow you to see it in the movie is that. You know, kids in their own age group, teenagers, especially, they have people who are leaders among their age group, but you have to draw the line somewhere and say, well, they still need a little bit of guidance because they're not quite there yet. And so maybe it's important that they still are not able to just completely go off the rails because when you get to a certain age and you go off the rails, you're liable to do something that you might not be able to take back, like when you were kids.
0: That's a good point. I like that. One
2: other point, sort of a little I thought it was interesting that they had two musicians in the movie playing teachers who were sort of a part of the system. Because you have Ellen Green, who's in there, yeah. who's a little shot before us, but then Annie Ross, who is a jazz singer, so from uh, the UK. So Yeah. Um
1: Yeah, and Annie Ross, she's the one that you know plays she plays the principal. So right. she has this Corella DeVille. Yeah. seriously
0: your, she's so evil and it's like man she's like I know. All matters, the test scores
1: i, <laughs> I, I almost expect i almost expect her to have a line in there and make sure that we take their dogs too
0: yeah it's, <laughs> she needs that long cigarette or whatever like
1: at <laughs> <Right. And laughs> night after she's ma- manipulated the number she's out stealing puppies
0: yes oh speaking of cigarettes that was the other thing i wrote down this is another thing that makes it very 90s and could not happen today uh i read that christian slitter became physically ill (laughs) several times filming this because of all the cigarette smoking he did Wow! makes the question why not give him a fake cigarette what the heck was up with that he's going method or
2: yeah i guess but i mean yeah we were talking about uh yeah, we were talking about Kevin Smith before. When he first made Clerks, he wasn't a smoker and he didn't even know how to smoke properly. But by the time they were done with it, he had become a smoker and he kind of learned about it and became a smoker through that movie, uh, from what I heard, so. Yeah,
0: you know, you know when people talk <laughs> these days about like, you know, censorship, like uh, I think in Stranger Things, um, they had to stop smoking so much because it was like a little too 80s. And when people <laughs> say, you know, like, oh, I can't believe they did that, you know, that censorship, and it doesn't really affect people. I'm like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband, Nick, uh, when he was in high school, he smoked Lucky Strikes, because Spike did in Cowboy Bebop. (laughs) 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 So I think, I think you can be influenced by the stuff you watch, but it's just funny, sure, like, a of course, 17 yeah. smoking like a chimney because it's like hey, never you know, he the
2: product placement in this movie, too. I mean, I was yeah. I couldn't get it out of my head that he was drinking diet Pepsi and and chewing blackjack gum. It's like that's an interesting.
0: Can you even get that anymore? I don't think so. Oh, yeah, no, if you, you go can? to like okay. one of
2: those old candy stores, like or you know, like uh, Cracker Barrel or something, I think, yeah,
1: interesting yeah it (laughs) cheap product cheap product placement (laughs) now i again there's just so many great things about this film uh and like you like you said i think it's it it just it, it is still very very relevant today um more than anything else and i think you know again you have kids out there that I would suspect, especially in the last four years, that have probably gotten out there and found their voice through podcasts. I think I think I read a report somewhere that the 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 amount of podcasts that have been created over the last four years of you know people just voicing their angst about everything. You know, great. I one thing I want to mention, uh, as I'm sure you're wrapping this up, I really do love the ending. I think you know it's not about them getting away with it. It's about them, you know, continue to do it. And until they're shut off to, you know, the very last thing that he says is about, you know, keep listening, find your voice, mm-hmm. you know, before they pulled the plug on his pirate radio and they're hauling the two of them, you know, Bonnie and Clyde esque criminals off to jail. Uh, and then, again, you you hear all these other people popping up with their own pirate radio stations uh, to talk about things. And um, it, it's, again, it's just one of the better endings than anything else uh, uh, that inspires people more than anything else. I don't know if it's really up there with standing on a desktop, oh, Captain, my captain, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> for this movie, it truly works
0: i agree um yeah i think that that brings me to my last couple of questions for both of you Uh, number one if you could summarize what we've been talking about um why why do you love this movie so much why do you think you revisit it if you could kind of just summarize that like in a a sentence or two
1: alex i'll let you have that one first
2: (laughs) well basically just uh, going over what i said before um to me, any any story, any film that remains relevant uh, to the present day compared to when it came out, I think is worth a, a rewatch. So the fact that I'm listening to it, watching the movie, and there's certain elements of it where I think this is still relevant 30, 31 years later, uh, makes it doable. So,
1: I like that. Um, I think it's an inspiring film more than anything else. I think it's... You know, taking that voice, that, that holding call voice, holding Caulfield voice from a catcher in the rhyme, putting him on the radio and talking truth and, and to teenagers and talking about the things that they're afraid to talk about and talking about subjects that are, like Alex you know, like said, that are still very relevant today um, and about finding your voice. And if you are one of those shy, and introverted kids that, you know, need a wet outlet to get your voice out. Uh, whether it's acting or writing or a pirate radio station, um, sometimes that's what you need because it's those people that, you know, tend to have a lot more poignant things to say other mm-hmm. than TV stars.
0: Cause they're like observers, you know? Right. Um, the, the other question I had for you is what is your elevator pitch for this movie? Like, how do you, you know, pitch this movie to someone that's never
1: seen it before? <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh.
1: Alex, what would you say to that? Now, if you've only seen it once.
2: <laughs> oh, um, oh! I guess I'll, again, sort of piggyback off something I said earlier. Have you ever wondered what Ferris Bueller might have done in his college years? <laughs> <Is this laughs> nice after uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, so. Um,
1: I would say <laughs> if you're tired of John Hughes films that always had happy endings, but it's still dealing with the same teenage angst and, uh, you know, rebellion against, uh, society, not conforming, but all finding your voice and talking about things that others won't talk about and speaking truth to society, um, you know, in a very nineties film, then this is what you watch. And, you know, you, you will find uh, a lot of themes in it that are still very relevant today. So, um, I, I, you know what, again, 30 years later, uh, And uh, Alex reminded me this year that as he was asking about movies that came out in 96 for one of his columns for our weekly magazine that we're about to do, um, that, holy shit, it has actually been 25 years since I graduated high school. So thank you this (laughs) week for making me feel old, but. um, um, It happens to
0: all of us. We hope.
1: It does. (laughs) Um, Yes. Um, Coming from the girl who, you know, hasn't hit the other decade yet, you know,
0: but I mean, it's close. It's looming. It it's it not is. far away. But,
1: but no, I mean, uh, it, almost 30 years later, still looking at this film and, you know, the state of society, I'm just like, it It still speaks volumes um, to kids who are needing to find their own voice and talk about real issues.
0: Yeah, I um I agree that, you know, the messaging in this movie is pretty relevant and, you know, it's not an accident. I think that, you know, we're talking about this on a podcast. He's on a radio show. There's some crossover there. um, and. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of the things that he's really frustrated with about society and about, you know, what it means to be an, an American, like these are still things we're talking about. Um, and I feel like it's a movie that sort of slipped under the radar a little bit, but it sounds like it has a lot of fans and they tend to be people that care a lot about film and about tackling more serious topics. So I think if that's kind of up your alley, then you will enjoy this film Um you may have to hunt it down, but you'll enjoy it.
1: <laughs> uh, you, you can buy some cheap copies on the internet. They may come from Goodwill in there New you Jersey.
0: go. So, Hit Marcus up. He can hook you up with some <laughs> <the> old- okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um,
0: but thank you so much, guys. Uh this this has been a really fun discussion. I feel like we talked about so much today. Um, and I definitely want to have y'all back. But where can people find you?
1: Uh that that's our website, news podcast, everything. If you're on social media, um, Facebook.com forward slash that nerd show Instagram, which I don't still don't know how to operate, um, <laughs> that nerd show. And then our Twitter, our Twitter handle, uh, handle is at that nerd show. Uh, you could tweet us out questions, but yes, that nerd show.com. And we do live streaming, uh, from the website of podcast gaming shows. And, um, everything else and then beginning of next month we will uh start having a weekly magazine that uh you can get a digital copy of or be able to buy a printed version that will feature illustrators and writers uh unique content from us um and cosplayers and everything else
0: all right guys thank you so much for coming on and uh hope to have you back soon